All right, so we have Sal and Adam here from Mind Pump Media. Uh, they've been called the Howard Stern of the fitness industry, and uh, they've been doing this. How many years have you guys been doing this now? So almost four now. It's like over three and a half now. Yeah, if you count the actual podcasting time, I mean, we were starting to build. I was starting to build the social media side about a year or two before that, and Sal and Doug were already working on uh, building the first MAPS anabolic program. That was before we all got together. So we've technically probably been building towards this for five years, and then you could count the 15 years before that of our education. Right, everything you've been doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much this. I mean, I actually thought it was a little longer because you guys have blown up like crazy. I mean, just four years. And I know, uh, I know, Adam, you're a IFBB pro at this point, and Sal, I know you you owned a gym for a while and you got into this uh, pretty young, around 15 or so, if I remember correctly. Um, but still, how much you guys have done in four years is, is pretty amazing. So how did how did that project get started? Well, that was that was we found out early on that was kind of our our secret sauce was that we had we had this ability to provide um, valuable good information and that we could we could produce it at a rate faster than almost anybody else in our space could. And and really what that was is the combination of the three of us with all of our years. Of, of our education and application to clients, we had this ability to take that information, disseminate it, and make it in a digestible way for the average person. And, and I think that we saw this huge division between like academia and then all the bros that were putting out information. So you had sure. all the, all the bros that were out there that were providing, you know, entertaining information. So you, you, you tuned in because of the, the cool cars, the flashiness, the look at my abs type of stuff. And then you had the other side, which was academia, which put down all the bros and talked shit about that. But then they were just, they were too smart for their own good to where they cared more about how they sounded, how smart they sounded than how, how well the information was being delivered. And I think we saw an opportunity there for us to come in and really provide high level information that would compete with academia, but then in a way that was digestible that the average you know, kid that's tuning in at 20 years old would be able to uh, disseminate and then apply himself. Yeah, we're, we're pulling from decades of just experience, so sure. there's no shortage of storage, stories and anecdotes and uh, explanations. Uh, and, and because we, were, we, we trained people for so long, when you work w with, with people for a living, uh, you, you end up learning how to communicate Effectively, you know, like for example, I know that everybody knows in, in fitness that you need to a very basic law or rule is if you want to lose weight, you have to take in less calories than you're burning. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but you know, on a very basic sure. level, that's an important factor. But how how you communicate that is just as important as the information itself, because you can communicate it uh, to people all day long, but if they don't receive it properly, it doesn't really impact them. It's not going to make that big of a difference. So, you know, having, you know, working with, with clients for 20 years, you know, we, we just kind of know how to communicate it because we've, through those years, figured out ways to get people to, to follow our advice and we know what works and that right. would work. Yeah. And I, I love that because, so, you know, my background is I, I got started in this when I was a wrestler at around 12 years old. And so I, I've been doing it for a while and I've always loved it. I've been obsessed with it. Um, and in college, my degree was in exercise science and nutrition. Um, but, you know, I just, like you guys, I just saw there was so much bro science out there. And I mean, I guess, you know, we're all probably bros to some degree, but there is, you know, there's different levels. And so having that academic background, and it was hard for me to 
you know, kind of see both sides there. And you guys have been able to combine those in a way that that's great. And I think something that we both relate on is that when it comes to, you know, the application is we do focus on the scientific side of it. And, you know, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you guys is because there's so much pseudoscience in this field that it's actually one of the reasons why I kind of stayed away from it for so long as far as, you know, you know, really going out and talking to that many people, aside from the few people that I would train. And so in, in your years doing this, what is, you know, one of the biggest cons that you've seen out there and what's one of the biggest snake oil salesman type techniques you're currently seeing in the industry? Oh, there's so, there, I mean, there's so many of them. And the, I know. <laughs> the supplement industry dominates with, uh, with bullshit. I mean, they'll, you know, protein is the mac magic macronutrient. So, you know, you can't eat too much of it. You need to eat a ton of it in order to maximize, you know, muscle gain and fat loss. That's a big myth. Um, uh, you know, there, there definitely is lots of science supporting a higher protein diet, but not the insane amounts that uh, supplement companies will, will promote. Um, the eating small meals throughout the day, that was a big one that we tackled early on. Sure. That was, yeah. a, that was common knowledge in fitness for forever, you know. I mean, right. as a trainer, I mean, that, that's what we taught clients. That's what we learn in our certifications. And we literally learned that, you know, if you ate small meals throughout the day, you would speed up your metabolism and burn more calories. You'd feed your muscles and starve your body fat. Right. Uh, and we now know that, in uh, science shows that that's completely false. It doesn't, doesn't have any of those effects. There's a personal preference that may have an effect, like you may like that better, which is fine, but there is no no real benefit to it. Um, I think one of the big ones right now in our space is that, uh, you know, macronutrients and calories are all that matters. Um, and, and you see that a lot, especially in the, the body sculpting stage presentation, you know, like bodybuilder, physique competitor, bikini competitor mm -hmm. type, that whole world where, you know, they'll, they'll hit their target macros. And it really doesn't make a big difference in terms of you know, what's in those macros, whether it's, you know, heavily processed foods or natural foods or whatever, it's all about hitting those macros. We know as trainers that, you know, heavily processed foods, and we can get on debate all day long as to whether or not they're healthy or unhealthy. Sure. But besides that, if we move that to the side, as trainers, we know that, you know, hyper palatable engineered food is going to make you feel different and it's going to probably make you want to overeat. And a lot of times in our space, we ignore that factor. You know, we look at the, well, if you eat this many calories and you exercise this much, then you're going to lose weight. But we forget the, the human element and how people feel when they do these types of things. And those heavily processed foods are engineered to overcome your, your natural systems of satiety, and you're going to eat more if you eat a lot of those. And so, you know, those are things that we tackle. I mean, and you look at the supplement industry is full of processed foods, you know, protein powders being a good example. It's about right, as processed right. as, you know, you're, you're going to take a scoop of something that's 35 grams of protein that tastes like strawberry shortcake. And that's right. it. Well, I love how now they have the, uh, like the paleo protein bars and things like that. You know, like the protein bars the cavemen were eating, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very different than it was even like 10 years ago. I mean, when I was in high school, it was seven or eight meals a day between classes. I would literally, you know, I'd have like two minutes between classes. I'd go to the bathroom and chug a 1,000 calorie shake because I thought I had to. Um, and then as far as the palatability of food goes, yeah, it's huge. Because I think, you know, the if it fits your macros kind of crowd, it can be taken to an extreme. And, yeah, you might still be able to get even contest lean with processed foods. But, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm that lean, 
I don't want to be eating, you know, a half a cup of ice cream. I'd rather have like a huge bowl of oatmeal or something like that. That's going to fill me up anyway. So, right. right. I, I also think that uh, what we see right now, which is this is totally different than the supplement uh, space, but I think that one of the biggest hustles that we're seeing right now in the fitness industry is these mastermind groups. I think that we all are in a time that we understand that uh, social media platforms are the future and will be necessary uh, for any entrepreneurs going forward. So if you don't do a podcast or you don't do YouTube, you don't do Instagram, you don't do Twitter or Facebook, it's going to be really tough to build a business without that going forward. So because of that, you have a lot of uh, false profits right now. You have a lot of people that came in and, and figured out the algorithm or hacked it or found a way to get a lot of eyes on them quick and early and then are claiming to be experts and selling people these mastermind groups where you sign up and I charge you five to $50,000 to listen to me teach you how to, became, how to become Insta-famous or how to build a social media business. And I think they're... You know, you, there's a lot of snake oil out there right now. A lot of people that are claiming to to really uh, know what they're talking about or know how to build a legitimate six, seven, or eight figure business that have no fucking clue. But they right. really, what they did really well was they, you know, got a lot of attention, whether it be through doing funny, silly things on YouTube or shocking awe or showing their ass, and then they get enough attention that by default. You know, 1% of those people buy whatever it is they're peddling, and then now they think they're an expert on building a business. And then you have a young generation coming up that are signing up for these courses to teach me how to do the same thing, and then they're all teaching the same hustle. I think we're going to see that. It's going to collapse. Yeah, I think we, uh, yeah. we, we're going to see that collapse in the next five years or so. But I, I think it's on its way up still right now, so there's lots of people that are actually making really good money and probably hate me saying that right now. But right, right. I think well, that's we, one of the – go ahead. No, I just think when you talk about one of the biggest scams that we see in the industry right now, to me, that's one that's not a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree, and I see that a lot. And again, that's one of the reasons why I kind of avoid it because I, you know, I've watched the YouTube videos for years, and I, you know, back in the day, T Nation articles and things like that, and it, it's so saturated that you know, even when I went into this and started interviewing people, I just knew like this was not my way of you know making money or anything like this. You know, I have a full time job as a dentist. It's it's just because I love talking about it, and I think it's very interesting, and, you know, people like you make this field a lot better, but I just wanted to try to get information like your podcast and other good information out there because I think it is tough when you're, you know, competing with models who, you know, whether or not they're taking anything or not, it's just, it's so saturated, and like you said, you know, you know the more naked the girls are, the more views they get, and I mean, that's fine, but it's not, you know, necessarily quality content. Um, but I think you and a few other people are really getting that information out. But yeah. it is competitive. It's it's really it's like it's no different. I mean, business really has not changed that much. You know, we just moved from brick and mortar to a virtual sense. And so, what when I see that, it's like somebody opening up a store, and you know, telling people like, "Come inside, free ice cream." You know, it's just like mm -hmm. so everyone's like, "Oh, fuck, free ice cream!" So everybody right, right. walks through your store, but when they walk through your store. They're confused on what it is you're selling, or they don't give a shit about anything that you're selling. All they want is their free ice cream, and then they're out. And so people driving by see all these people coming into the store, and maybe some people fall for it that you have a really good business, but really you just have a bunch of window lickers. you got a bunch of people right. coming in, getting ice cream, and then moving on, and they're really not real customers because you're not providing real value for their life. And so the business hasn't changed. It's just moved from brick and mortars to this virtual sense. So when we look... 
like on the outside and you see all the likes and the kissy faces that all these people are giving to these right. people showing their ass or doing that. Well, you know, th- these people are just there for the ice cream, bro. They're not right, exactly. They're not. They're not making any money. They just want the free ice cream. That's right. Yeah, you know, this fitness space is interesting because it's not. I mean, it hasn't been massive for a really long time. If if you really compare it to other markets, like, I mean, the the the, uh, you know, like the gym business, for example, didn't really start taking off until the maybe mid early to mid nineties in terms of how much they started, you know, money they started making. And when it comes to diets, there's always been diet books, but they have they didn't really explode until maybe 30 years ago when you started to really see people start to debate things like what's the best diet for weight loss or whatever. And so it's it's starting to age a little bit, and you're going to start to th- see things wash out. And one of the challenges with, with this industry is you get a lot of conflicting information, even in science, even academia. You know, I, I could pull up three studies that show that eating a vegan diet is going to be the best for you, and I can pull up three stud- studies to show you that a paleo diet sure. is probably better for you. I may even be able to find a study to show that a carnivore diet for some people uh, is, is you know, beneficial. And so because we've been getting so much conflicting information, I think people are going to start to get a little sick of it. And what they're going to be looking for is real, honest, uh, you know, quality information. And, the, and here's the bottom line. And, and, again, this comes from experience with working with lots of people. Uh, there, are, there are some definite truths when it comes to fitness, but the individual variance is massive. It's huge. And so if you if somebody sits there and says that they know the answer for everybody, you know right away that they're full of crap. That just oh, yeah. just it just doesn't work like that for most people. Now, especially when it comes to diet, we know the immune system's role in how your body reacts to food. Well, gee, your immune system is like a fingerprint. And so now it makes sense when we understand that with you know that one person can eat a particular way and feel phenomenal and have great, you know, blood panels and everything do, does great. And if someone eats exactly the same way, they can have a terrible reaction or, or just not feel as good. Um, and this applies to all things fitness. And, and I think that's what we try to communicate on the show. You know, we talk about the general truths, but then we also say things like, there is no coach better than your own body. Learn how to understand and listen to your body, and you'll figure out well, many times what works best for you. And it's not, it's not a sexy message, I don't think. It's, it makes it hard for us to sell things. <laughs> but, uh, but it's the honest one, and it, it's the true one. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting watching, especially with new technology and new media, it's interesting watching how fast things are starting to evolve. Um, I think we're, we're maybe 10 years away to see some real maturity, um, in our space, uh, on social media. But right now we're still in that, in that, that kind of growth stage where you see a lot of baloney. Right. Well, I mean, again, I understand because it's, it's, it can be very frustrating. I mean, even as somebody who has read, you know, more studies than I could even say, it's, there is a ton of conflicting evidence out there. And, and some of them are legitimate studies that say opposing things. And sometimes that has to do with, you know, the methodology and the, the group that was studied. Um, but, yeah, I mean, let's touch on that for a second, because for me, I, you know, I've tried every, like every diet out there, and I will notice different trends. Like, for example, a ketogenic diet, I had first done it, you know, back in 2008, I think is the first time I tried it. And I'm actually doing it now, um, not because I think it has any magical benefit or anything like that, but um, I just kind of want to experiment, and it was kind of helping my GI a little bit. Um, and I actually, you know, I feel more clear-headed. I am not tired throughout the day. I know when I was eating more carbs, every time I go to the gym, I, I'd almost want to take a nap, and now I haven't had that in a while. But at the same time, it, it probably isn't something I can continue because, you know, I, you know the advanced, uh, like, cardio IQ lipid panels where they break down LDLP and, you right. know, more advanced things. And mine was terrible. 
Um, you know, and I wasn't eating, you know, butters and creams or anything like that. It was no dairy. It was just, you know, fattier meats, olive oils, avocados. But my body, you know, I'm in sky high cholesterol levels. So, um, you know, do you notice that you like certain trends? I mean, like I said, it's going to be individual. But do you notice that most people tend to respond a certain way to keto for you? Or is it really just completely individual and you just try people on every diet well, until the they find something? People that tend to do well on keto also tend to have uh, a few a few different things. Gut issues is a real common one. So mm -hmm. you talk to people who do keto who feel phenomenal. Many times they were having uh, gut issues before with their with the with the diet that they're eating before. Yeah. Now, regardless of your cholesterol and lipid numbers and all that stuff, if you're eating foods that are causing an immune reaction in your body, however mild. I mean, consider what an immune reaction, you know, what that does to the body. It is a stress response. So elevated cortisol, uh, it can cause some insulin uh, sensitivity issues, blood sugar issues. Uh, over time, you may get some HPA axis dysfunction. And so you'll find yourself eating carbs and feeling foggy, you know, sluggish, tired. It's, a, it's, a, it's an immune reaction over a period of time. Eliminate those foods, and all of a sudden you feel sharp and amazing. And then on top of it, you, right. throw, you, know, you throw elevated ketones which have their own kind of anti-inflammatory effects. So right. it's not necessarily the, the carbs that are the problem. Well, I also see people, too, that, you know, and this was my experience with a ketogenic diet, was that I the big takeaway for me was that I was just, I was low, I was a chronic low-fat uh, low eater. So my mm. fats were so low for so long that my body was deprived of these healthy fats. And so the positive response that I felt from it was, I think less related to my gut and more that my body was just missing these healthy fats that I was avoiding for so many years because I subscribed to the low-fat, high-carb type of a diet right. so long because I was a carb eater and I loved sugar and I, and I was addicted to carbs. Yeah. And I, that I subscribed to that for so long that when I reduced my carbohydrates, increased my healthy fats, you know, I noticed this mental clarity. I was satiated better. My stomach felt good. My stool was better. My hair, like skin, like... I started to notice all these things that were much, much better on me. So it could be a, 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 a plethora of different things that are causing people to feel this way. But I think the thing that I, I'm always trying to tell somebody when, whenever we do any of these diets is don't don't attribute the success that you're having right now or the, the way you feel, the positive benefits you feel to the diet. Look at the things that you've eliminated or that you've added to your diet. So it's less about this protocol that some guru came up with to help people simplify it and follow it, that's great and all. The real thing that you got to learn is, you know, what is that? Okay, oh, wow, when I increase my healthy fats, when I have more avocado, more olive oil, and I can have things like that in the diet, I tend to feel this way. Or, you know, oh, when I reduce my carbohydrates with this much, I notice that I don't have inflammation as much. I'm not retaining so much water. I don't feel as sluggish. My appetite's in better control. Like, you know, start to attach to that versus this, structure that's this this generic structure that we've put out yeah, there it's important i think it's important to understand too that you know from an evolution from an evolutionary standpoint our diets probably varied with the season and i'm sure that many hunter gatherers may probably have gone without carbohydrates for a while and the, the evidence you know it's pretty strong in that in that in that direction i mean you know carbohydrates are not essential now that that tells us that we probably evolved without having to have carbs sometimes, right? Maybe in the wintertime when all we had to eat was, uh, you know, animal fats and proteins. And so I think it's important to visit some of these diets and see how you feel, but understand that the body starts to adapt and, and what works for you now may not always work for you. The same is true with exercise. 
And, you know, studies are difficult when it comes to this because studies are only so long. So I'll give you a very basic, simple example, uh, but and we'll use exercise, okay? If you look at studies that compare rep ranges, so like if you, you know, if they, they'll compare low rep ranges, you know, one to five reps, to mid rep ranges, like eight to 12 reps, and they'll compare them to high rep ranges, right, 15 to 20 reps or whatever, 25 reps. If they compare them head-to-head -head over the period of, let's say, six to nine weeks, which is a typical length of, of these types of studies, they will find that the eight to 12 rep range builds the most muscle. And this is pretty established. This, is, this has been repeated time and time again. Now, does that mean that eight to 12, the eight to 12 rep range is the best muscle-building rep range all the time? No, not at all. Now, I know this through experience. Sure. If, I, if you compare them head-to-head -head for six to nine weeks, yes, it will. If you keep uh, going down that path and you stay on the sep same rep ranges, or you'll start to see diminishing returns. And if I compare a person who trains in the 8 to 12 rep range always to someone who cycles in and out of the low rep range and the high rep ranges, along with the mid rep ranges, you'll find that the person that cycles in and out of different rep ranges builds more muscle because they tend to avoid plateau and the body tends to respond uh, sure. to, to novel stimulus a little bit better than it does to something it's used to. And I think this to be true with diet as well. Um, yeah. you know, you'll, if, you'll see, you'll notice, if you talk to anybody who's done keto, now keto, ketogenic diets have real medical applications, so I'm not talking sure. about those scenarios. Like when, epilepsy patients. And yeah, exactly, exactly. But when you, when you look at people who've been on keto for a year or two years, many times they come out of it. Um, and they come out of it because they start to notice that their body doesn't feel as good as they did when they first went into it. Sometimes you get hormone issues. As a result, sometimes you start to notice a little bit of muscle wasting as a result, and they start to throw in some carbohydrates, and wow, I start to feel good again. Um, and then, of course, the mistake is that they, they marry that new way of eating. Right. You know, right. and that's, yep. really, that's really what it's all about is understanding. I mean, here's, you know, especially when you look at things like um, intestinal uh, hyperpermeability or, 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 you know, uh, leaky gut syndrome. Like leaky gut, yeah. Yeah, leaky gut syndrome happens from a, a combined inflammatory state of the body with eating the same foods all the time. That's the, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the magic formula that'll, that'll give you food intolerances, right? You have inflammation, leaky gut, you eat a lot of the same foods, your, bo your body recognizes those foods as foreign invaders, you develop an immune response, and now you have a food intolerance. Um, and, and that tends to be the, the magic formula. So regardless of what you eat, if it's the same thing all the time, and you go through periods of inflammation, which you will because you're a normal human being and you're going to go through periods of stress or illness, uh, you may find that all of a sudden, you know, the food that I ate all the time that made me feel phenomenal now gives me indigestion or constipation or skin issues or fogginess or irritability or whatever. And so, so are you saying we, we don't want tuna and rice six times a day? That's not no, no. <laughs> absolutely terrible. So it's, so, I mean, it's important to understand those things. And it, it again, it, it makes it hard to sell things because it's not a definitive answer. And the answer many times that we give people is it depends. Yeah, we get you teased know? about that a lot. Yeah, context matters and it depends. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, okay, so, you know, I don't want to take up too much of you guys' time. I just had one or two more questions here. Um, you know, again, with going with the pseudoscience and myths, one that I've seen go back and forth a lot is blood flow restriction training. And obviously there's the studies out there showing uh, that there is significant hypertrophy, but I don't, as, as far as I am aware, there is no study comparing it to just strength training alone, um, adding it on top of it. 
So oh. outside of somebody with an injury, do you see an actual application for, you know, a healthy person who's able to do full, you know, typical strength training? Do you see an application there? Yeah, I do. I definitely do. And and I also see where some people will will notice more of a difference from it than others too. So I remember when we first uh wrote a guide on this. Uh, God, that was like three years ago plus. One of the first guide we wrote. Yeah, and I it was when it first came out and I was really fascinated with it. I think I, I introduced it to the guys and then we all kind of started diving into it and doing our research on it. We were pretty fascinated with the the science and the studies that were coming out about it. And we thought, okay, let's start applying this and playing with it. And there's a couple things that we we found out. And of course, this is anecdotally speaking, but one of the things that I noticed was that if it replaced my current strength training protocol, um, I would see a, a decrease and a loss. So um, it, it, it would be something that I would need to do in addition to what I was already doing. And what is great about it is for sure, like if you have any sort of limiting factor. So I know you said, you know, the injury thing, that's the main purpose. Like I don't see, right. I don't see a lot of value in it for the average person. That now that doesn't mean that it can't not be used. I still, I use it all the time. Shit. There's times where, um, you know, when I'm really putting a lot of energy, especially when I was competing, I was putting a lot of energy and focus on developing my calves. I have the most stubborn calves ever. It takes a ton of volume. Yeah. For them to go from terrible to less terrible. Mm -hmm. And one of the tools I used was BFR. And the way I would use that is, you know, I'd have my normal training volume days, and then I would be trying to increase the frequency of the training on, on my calves. And so I would just, sometimes I'd tie my calves off and I'd sit at the edge of my steps and I would do a quick four sets of BFR. And I get this massive pump on my calves. I don't do a ton of damage because you're not lifting super heavy weight. And just that extra frequency, you know, is going to increase and send a signal to there to build and adapt and more, add more muscle. So I saw benefits there. Then we, I remember at the same time, we were hanging out with a good buddy of ours, Craig Caperso. And I remember he was just like, this is terrible. It doesn't work for me. Well, when you look at the way he trains, it's, it, I can tell that, okay, well, it's not much of a, like, he's like notorious for zero rest periods. Super high volume training, supersetting from one thing to another. So if you're somebody who trains like this already, where you're getting a ton of blood flow into a muscle like that, you're getting massive pumps like crazy, then when you go and you try something like BFR, you may not see like this huge change, especially if you're using it in replace of something else that you are already currently doing. But I think supplementing it and adding it into a routine, there's some benefits to yeah, that. Yeah, I would agree. It's probably one of the 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 best uh you know additional tools that we've discovered in training but it's definitely not going to replace heavy resistance right. training uh but it, if you throw it in on top of it you can overdo it by the way sure so a lot of people think oh oh it's uh because you're using such lightweight you can do it as much as you want no you can overdo it i've definitely tested it and you can definitely push it right right frequently but yeah you throw it in on top of your normal routine if you're advanced you'll notice some you'll definitely notice some change from it I mean, you said you tie off the calves. Are you you're speaking proximally, right, or are you actually doing it distally at the calves? No, no, I always tie all the way up to my upper thigh. Okay, yeah, that, that's what I've always heard. But yeah, and there and there's there's multiple camps in that too. So I I don't remember who who the two guys to the two doctors that I followed that were talking. One one said tying off above the knee is just fine. 
Really? Yeah, about, yeah. I do all the way up by the hip. I mean, it's, I, I think that, uh, if I, shit, if I'm going to get some blood flow restriction to my calves, maybe as well get some to my quad. All right. Sure. So, sure. Yeah, that's kind of my theory about, but I, I definitely do notice a difference because I think I probably played with it the most out of all of us, especially when I was competing and I was paying attention to building muscle so much. Mm-hmm. I remember telling the guys that, man, this is, this is really, this is really showing me some great results. And I got to a point where I started loving it so much that I started doing it more and I saw myself decreasing my regular strength training. And then I started to see, then I started to see myself go back, backslide. And so that, you know, that was like me putting together like, okay, I could see where people could get caught in the pseudoscience of it thinking that it's going to be this magical thing because you see some sort of a great response from it. And then you think, and, and they'll fall in that same trap of, oh, wow, this is amazing. It works so well. I saw this great response. Then they start doing it so much that it starts to take away from strength training, and it just does not compare or beat strength training. It's a great tool that you can add to your, I think, tool belt. I don't think it's something that replaces. I don't think it's uh, the big, it's not the big hammer. You know, the big hammer is your strength training and making sure you're lifting like that, like normal conventional lifts. But I definitely think it's a great tool. I've used it quite a few times, and I've used it in different manners too. Like there's the times where I've gone really heavy, like deadlifting, and maybe my my lower back and stuff is taxed, and I'm like, well, I was gonna squat today, but maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not gonna squat today because my 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 upper or my back is fried, and so maybe I'll do some BFR training. And so that's kind of how I've used that tool is in situations like that where I'm like, okay, well, here's here's a chance, here's an opportunity of me or for me to use a tool where I either one was considering taking the day off completely because I'm too sore, or two, I might be compromising my low back because I'm already really sore from deadlifting and here I'm getting ready to squat. Right. Sure. And uh, I had just one last question. Um, I don't know if you guys seen the Brad Schoenfeld study that just came out comparing the different volumes up to 45 sets per week for legs. No, I didn't. Please uh, refresh us or let us so, know. So basically what they did is they tested one set per exercise three times a week. Um, and I forget exactly how it was set up um, in terms of the exercises, but all compound lifts. It ended up being the case that, you know, you tested nine versus, I believe, 27 and then 45 sets for legs. And then for they measured the arms and it was I think it was I'm going to mess it up. It might be like six, 15 and 30, something like that. And in both the upper and lower body, um, there was measurably more hypertrophy with the highest volume. So, again, 45 sets looking at that for for lower body. And um, there's actually been a decent amount of controversy over this. Um, this was published, yeah, pretty much right at the end of August. Well, uh, I know, I know a lot where the, a lot of the controversy comes from is because in the past we've been told that the the you know twelve to twenty range is the most optimal uh, for right. muscle. But I was actually I was reading all this just this last month, and I heard about this study coming out. I haven't read it since it came out, but I remember hearing that it was coming, and I heard that a lot of people were going to be shocked by the results. Yeah, this is something I've been saying on the show for a long time, and I tell competitors like, I mean, you can't. I absolutely, 100% believe you can continue to scale. In my opinion, nothing will build muscle or reduce muscle more than manipulating volume of training. If you, if you, nothing will. You want to see something? If you want to see yourself lose muscle faster than ever, well, decrease the amount of volume <laughs> you've been averaging for the last month. Right. And I guarantee you, you will lose some muscle. And if, if you want to see almost guaranteed results of building muscle, increase your volume. And the, the goal really is, 
is to elicit or is to do as little as possible to elicit the most change. So if you can just incrementally increase those sets and increase that volume, then you should see this gains month over month. And this is what I this is how I applied my training into competing when I was an amateur to national to a professional level was when I got into it, I was doing X amount of volume and then uh, show over show, I would just incrementally inch that up. And, you know, I, the amount of volume I was doing, I would not recommend to the average person. So if somebody who walked out the street and said, hey, I want to build muscle and look just like you, what are your, how, you know, how many sets are you doing for legs and how many sets are you doing? Well, shit, what, at that point when I'm a professional and I've been going consistently for almost four years without a break, yeah, I, I'm definitely at a very, very high volume. But I think the, what the scary part about a study like this and what worries me is the average person is going to see that, hear that, and go like, oh, sure. shit, more is more. I just need to right. do more more, more sets, no. more volume, and I'm going to build. And no, it's, it's, it important. Be a trap. it's important to manipulate intensity and to manipulate the, the how frequent you train a muscle group when you're doing that much volume. So, like, 45 sets for your legs in one day. Right, not a good split, idea. Yeah, versus Usually. 45 sets split up over four days, big difference. 45 sets to, you know, absolute muscular failure versus 45 sets of moderate to high intensity, big difference. And, it, of course, that all depends on the individual. So the key is you got to be able to manipulate intensity and frequency along with that. Now, our MAPS programs are written with lots of volume. They're just not lots of volume in one workout. Right. We're training the whole body typically, you know, three days a week hard and another two to four days or two to you know, three days a week. We're training it with more frequency and lower intensity which means lots of volume, and we know this. That's why we wrote the programs this way. We've known this, uh, you know, training clients for as long as we have, that that's one of the most important factors when it, when it comes to getting your body to change, but you do need to be able to understand how to manipulate your volume and your frequency because if you just throw a shit ton of volume at yourself without understanding those two things, you're going, you're going to set yourself up for trouble. Sure, sure. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for talking today. Um, this was awesome. When I mentioned to the students I was working with that I was bringing you on, they had a ton of questions for me. So maybe in the future we can do this again. Uh, to everybody listening, this is Dave McConey interviewing Sal and Adam from Mind Pump Media. And you guys are all over the place, uh, Instagram, YouTube, podcasts. Is there anywhere else that people should look for you? That's it. And then we have a website with a, with a bunch of free guides. Your students might actually appreciate some of them. Uh, it's Mind okay. Pump. They can go to Mind Pump Free. Dot com and there's I think there's 11 guides on there, uh, all for different things. They're totally free, and it's just good information. Awesome. All right, well, thanks again, guys. Thank you, no man. Problem. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to my interview with Sal and Adam from Mind Pump Media. It's great talking to them. If you enjoyed that content, like the video and subscribe to follow along for future interviews. If you believe in the charity being supported here, please feel free to make your own donation and comment down below.